0: Everybody, welcome to Life Awakening. Let's talk about it. As always, I am your host, Coach Callie Tamey, out here in beautiful San Diego, California. And today is day number four of the seven-day podcast blast leading up to the push for bestseller for my book on July Fourth. Dear victim, it's time for us to break up now. And today, as promised, I am reading chapter number two out of my book. So. This is going to be Sunday. I know you're not going to be at work if you're listening to this, so you might want to get you your favorite beverage, sit back, and just enjoy the listen. Uh, this is also a practice run for me doing an audible version of my book, which I uh, am already planning on doing. So uh, I as I read the first chapter, I realized it was much more difficult than what I had anticipated. So this is definitely, this is a bigger chapter. There's a lot of emotional stuff in this chapter, so you also might want to get you some tissues. You're I, I'm going to go ahead and give a, a tissue alert warning on this chapter. Um, one of my uh, friends said that she listened to the last one, and she got teared up on that one. I was like, oh, Lord, she got teared up on the first one, and I didn't think that one was that emotional. I know this one's going to get you. So... <laughs> uh, but I, I'm super excited to be sharing this journey with you guys. I'm I'm so thankful and grateful for each and one, every one of you that is supporting me on this journey, supporting my dreams and, and helping me reach this, this goal, like bestseller on Amazon. Man, like this is going to be amazing. And I'm just telling you, the trip that I'm giving away is going to be four days and three nights with moi. I just can't tell you where it's at yet you'll find that out on Tuesday so another little teaser for that <laughs> um, like I said I hope you guys are enjoying this um, tomorrow will be Monday and you guys will get your regular podcast that you get every Monday to be the full um, a full session of, of whatever I happen to talk about tomorrow, which I have no idea what that's going to be right now. Still may be something about the book, but uh, it's going to be a a full episode as always. And then Tuesday we'll continue the seven day podcast blast along with Wednesday launch day on Thursday. And I'll probably do one on Friday to announce that we did it. (laughs) So, and then give you all of the, again, give you all the the rules of how to uh, get entered into the contest and, do that. I know people are already receiving the autographed copies that I've sent them and they're posting it up on Facebook and they're hitting a the hashtag Callie Tamey, hashtag Dear Victim is Time and they're tagging two people like they're supposed to and I double check the hashtags. I can follow the hashtags. It comes straight to me so it'll be super easy to follow on who you are and who you're tagging because I can go straight to the post so that's great and um, don't forget to do it on Instagram as well. Throw those up on Instagram. Tag you two people and every time that you make a post and tag two different people, your name gets entered into the contest one extra time. So, there you go. I think that's uh those are some basics about, you know, what's going to be happening next week. Uh and I, like I said, I'll give all the details on Tuesday. I've already given away too much information. So, uh, but I, I'm super excited about reading this for you guys. And you know, I, I just going to be giving you my raw emotion as I go through this. Um, this is the first time I've read out of my book since it's been published. So, um, All of this is very surreal to me right now and I'm feeling choked up right now. So like, I'm just going to run with it. Like, so however it comes out is however it comes out. I love you guys and I hope that you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed publishing this book for you. So we're going to take just a second. We're going to listen to my sponsors for today and I will be right back with chapter number two. Come get to know me. Hey everybody, this is Coach Callie Taming. I hope you are really enjoying the Life Awakening podcast. And I wonder, did you know that you can actually get paid to listen to my podcast? I know it sounds really crazy, but it's true. I just found this awesome new app. It's called PodCoin and you actually get paid to listen to my podcast or any other podcast that you want to listen to. Here's how it works. You listen to the podcast and you earn PodCoin while you listen. Then you turn that PodCoin into gift cards at places like Amazon or Starbucks. Or if you choose, you can donate it to a PodCoin charity of your choice. The more you listen, the more you earn. So here's what you do. Go right now and download the app on your iPhone or Android and I have a special code for you. Simply use the code LIFEAWAKENING and you'll get 300 PodCoin just for signing up. And if you listen to enough podcasts on here, you'll get a cappuccino at Starbucks or an Amazon gift card on us. So go ahead and listen to this podcast or virtually any podcast on PodCoin and sign up with the code LIFEAWAKENING. I swear it'll change the way that you listen to podcasts. Chapter two, come get to know me. Right after high school, I had attended Herzing Institute in Birmingham, Alabama to become a legal secretary. This was not my first choice as I had applied to the University of Alabama my senior year. I really wanted to be in the medical profession and specialize as a labor and delivery nurse, but I never received a letter back in response to my application. My mom was going to Herzing at the time and she wanted me to go there with her. She convinced me that I would love being a legal secretary. In all honesty, I think she just wanted me to like something she did and do it with her, which was something new for us. We had never done anything together in all the years that I can remember growing up. I played sports, she came and watched, and that was the extent of our togetherness when I lived at home. Quite honestly, I was okay with that being our roles. You know, it wasn't until a few years ago when I was sharing this part of my story with a friend when I had the epiphany, everyone gets a letter when you apply to college, whether you're accepted or not. It was then that I realized one of two things must have happened. Either mom never actually mailed my application or I got accepted and mom didn't want me to go away to college, so she threw it away so that I wouldn't find out. Even though Tuscaloosa was only about 45 minutes from where we lived, it meant that I would not be at home anymore or even close to her. I was only 17 when I graduated high school and I was clueless about the whole college application process. Both of those are logical answers as to what could have happened and it makes so much sense now when I think about it. I found hersing pretty easy because it was a repeat of the things I completed in my senior year of high school, which also meant I had time for a social life. During the school year, we had a party at a local bar and I met a guy, Brian, who turned out to be my future husband. I thought he was a nice guy and he was funny, always treated me well, and would take me out to eat and to the movies pretty regularly. He traveled all around the southeast managing sound equipment for a local band. A couple of my girlfriends and I would go see them on the weekends when the work schedules allowed. By this time, I was living with my friends, working at Waffle House. I had my own car. I was paying my own bills and In my mind, I was finally all grown up. To add to the feeling of being what I considered to be a successful grown up at the time was going to college and graduating. I did it too. I was the first one in my family to even graduate high school and then top that by graduating college with a 4.0 GPA. Brian and I had been dating for about a year when he asked me to marry him and I said yes. We didn't want a big wedding, more so because we really couldn't afford it, so we got married at the courthouse and had a reception with family and friends afterwards. By the next year, I was pregnant with my son, Bradley. I remember that pregnancy so vividly. I was blessed not to have morning sickness, but I thoroughly believed in the theory I was eating for two. Mexican food was the love of my life and everything spicy, no matter how bad the heartburn was afterwards. We signed up for birthing classes since it was our first child and had no idea what we were doing. My grandparents lived close to the hospital where I would be delivering, so we stopped by to see them on the way to class. This was their first great-grandchild, and my grandpa was super excited. He would have me sit in his lap until he felt the baby kick. (laughs) OMG, he was so funny. He didn't care that his leg was going to sleep because I was a fat and happy pregnant woman. All he knew was that his great-grandbaby was almost here, and that's all he cared about. After all, I was his favorite. What I didn't know during that time was that he was sick and dying. He didn't tell anyone. They put him in the hospital about two weeks before the baby was born. I made sure I went to the hospital to see him every day. They had to strap him down to the bed because he kept pulling his IVs out. One day, I was sitting there visiting with him, telling him I loved him and that I couldn't wait for him to hold Bradley after he was born. All of a sudden, he looked up at the door with this weird expression on his face. I looked over, but I didn't see anything. His stare was so intense that I asked him what he was looking at. Grandpa, pointing with his crooked old finger from his strapped-down wrist, said, You don't see him? He's right there. Me, who, Grandpa? I don't see anybody. Grandpa, the man on the cross above the door. He's standing in the doorway. Don't you see him? Untie me from this bed. I need to get up. If you love me, you will get me out of this bed, Tammy. I don't want to be here anymore. Me, after bursting into tears. Grandpa, don't make me do that. You know I can't untie you. You keep pulling your IVs out and you need them. Grandpa, looking at me, said, Get out! If you're not going to get me out of here, I don't want to see you anymore. You don't love me. I ran out of the room crying and straight to the waiting room where I jumped in my grandma's lap and broke down sobbing. I would realized grandpa was dying and he wasn't going to make it out of the hospital. It was Jesus he saw standing in the doorway and I knew it meant that it was time for him to go home. Grandma was angry with him for upsetting me when I was so close to delivering in my heart, I knew she didn't want to admit that she knew his days were few and he could not be, he would not be leaving the hospital to go home with her this time. It was soon after my beautiful son Bradley was born by C-section after four days of labor on March 19, 1988. It was the next day when my mom shared a photo of him with my grandpa and told him that we were both healthy and fine. She said he had this peaceful, happy smile on his face at the news. It was then that she told me the doctors had relayed to her his organs were shutting down. I'll never forget what she said Ned. Now that he knows his great-grandchild is here, they don't expect him to make it through the night. I burst into tears and screamed, No! She just wrapped me in her arms and hugged me as tight as she could until I could talk again. I asked to go see him, take Bradley in an incubator so that we could say goodbye. Every doctor and nurse I talked to said it wasn't safe. The next morning at 5.27 a.m., my hospital phone rang, and the woman on the other end of the phone said, Mrs. McCoy, we just wanted to let you know your grandfather passed away about an hour ago. We're sorry for your loss, and then she hung up the phone. I screamed at the phone and threw it across the room, ripping it out of the wall, causing my husband Brian to jump out of his skin. He'd been asleep in the recliner bed beside me. He knew without asking what had just happened. He got up and just held me while I cried uncontrollably. The day after I got out of the hospital, I buried my grandfather. I was struggling, being excited about becoming a new mom and knowing that I would never get to sit in my grandpa's lap ever again. It tore me up knowing my children would never get to know and love the man that played such a large part in making me the strong woman that I am today. The one man who made me believe there was still some good left in this world. I was trying so hard to be strong for my grandma. Even though I felt like I was failing miserably, it was the first time I had ever had the conscious thought that I was a failure at anything. I had so many questions running through my head, like how could I hold so much love and pain in my heart at the same time? How could I balance joy and happiness of bringing my firstborn child into this world with all the overwhelming sadness and grief of losing the grandfather who meant so much to me? I am a new mom now with a new set of responsibilities, I told myself. He wasn't in pain anymore and one day I wouldn't hurt any more either. After all, the facts are that none of us make it out alive. I knew I would celebrate him through my son's life and I would not let Bradley's birth be a sad time. One life ended and a new one had begun, That's why they call it the cycle of life. With all the emotions swirling around in my heart after the funeral, we took our son home and tried to focus on the happiness that was to come with our new family. Six months later I found out I was pregnant again. That pregnancy was much more difficult from the moment the doctors confirmed I was pregnant. I felt emotional and angry all the time. I went into labor about two months early. Brittany wasn't due until July 28th. I was scared of losing her and my only thoughts were, I can't lose this baby. As we went through the seven medications before finally getting my labor to stop, the doctors put me on bed rest and told me I couldn't lift anything, including my son, do any household chores, nor anything strenuous at all. The medicine made me so sick to my stomach that my hands shook all the time and I had trouble sleeping through the night. I wasn't happy about the doctors making me take so much medication while I was pregnant, but it was the only way for her lungs to have time to develop and the chance of surviving would be greater. Thankfully, a friend came over and babysat me five days a week while my husband worked. She was such a blessing. I went into labor in less than 48 hours after they took me off the meds. July 18, 1989, my beautiful, perfect baby girl, Brittany, had arrived by C-section. The truth revealed. Here I was in my early 20s with a full schedule and a very full life. Brian and I both worked and we had a nice house, cars, two awesome children, and our marriage was doing pretty well. Then I started having dreams that would wake me up from a sound sleep with my heart racing. In the beginning, I couldn't recall my dreams. I didn't want to call them nightmares, I just knew that I didn't like the way they left me feeling. Then one night I saw something. It was a vague, fuzzy picture, but the feeling grew more intense with each time I had the dreams. It really bothered me that I kept waking up and I didn't know why. My husband didn't understand either. He thought I was just stressed out with work, the kids, the house, and trying to keep up with everything. Over the next few times I experienced this, I woke up in a sweat screaming for my mom and scaring the hell out of my husband. After a few nights in my dream, I remembered my mom was in the room, and I would scream for her to help me like I was in trouble. I didn't remember anything else other than that. Then one night later, the dream became crystal clear, and I relived that moment like it was in slow motion. The dream started with me at the kitchen table coloring. My brother was on the floor playing. I couldn't have been more than two and a half, three years old, as he was still in diapers, but sitting up and playing on his own on the floor. My mom and a man were having sex on the couch. The next vision I had was of my mom and him sexually abusing me together. I cried for my mom to make it stop, and she replied, Just lay there, baby. It will be over with soon. I must have blacked out afterwards as I don't remember anything else of that night. The nightmare came night after night after night, louder, clearer, exactly the same each and every time. I would wake up crying. I couldn't breathe. Angry. Didn't know what was going on. I kept asking myself, Why am I having these stupid dreams? My mom loved me and we are so close. I know she would never allow someone to hurt me like that. The nightmares really upset my husband. He didn't believe that they were just nightmares but suppressed memories that I had blacked out until now. I told him there was no way that it really happened. My mom would never allow that to happen to me. I was her only daughter. What mother in her right mind could ever allow something like that to happen to any of her children, much less her only daughter? Then more dreams started coming. I remembered different times and different places, but it was all with her present and even participating. My husband finally convinced me to ask my mom about it. He encouraged me to just ask her, and if she says it didn't happen, that he would never bring it up again. He was adamant that I at least ask. All we both wanted was for the nightmares to stop. We knew he I knew he was right, but how could I bring up a conversation like this with anyone, much less my own mother? How could I suggest my mother, the woman who gave birth to me, sexually abused me and when I was a child with some random dude I didn't even recognize and all of this from dreams I wasn't even sure I could believe myself if they were even real or not. I couldn't find the words so I put it off for a few days. In all honesty it could have been a few weeks for all I know. It seemed as though time stood still during those days. It felt like I was in a never-ending horror film every time I closed my eyes. I finally got up the nerve one day to call my mom. We had our normal chit-chat about what was going on at work with the kids and my brothers, etc. Then I took a deep breath and I just let the words come out as I said, Mom, I've been having these really horrible nightmares lately and they seem so real. They've been waking me up for nights on end. Brian said I should ask you about it to see if you could help me figure out what it was all about. She was quiet for a second. I really didn't think much about her taking so long to respond at the time. But then she finally asked what the dreams were about. So I went over the dreams in very graphic detail. I made sure I didn't leave a single detail out because I just knew there was no way it could be true. It was just too far-fetched for any mother to allow that to happen to her only daughter. She was radio silent for what seemed like an eternity. So I said, Mom, that really didn't happen, did it? You didn't do that, right? You didn't allow that to happen to me. Silence was the only thing I heard on the other end of the phone. I could feel my heart racing and trying to pound through my chest as the sweat was running down the back of my neck. I remember having problems catching my breath. Mom, I really need you to answer me. I need you to tell me you didn't do this. That this is all just a bad dream and make it go away. She took a deep breath and said yes okay are you happy now yes it happened Tammy but I was a different person back then and it doesn't matter now. You could have heard a pin drop with a silence coming from the other end of the phone not even sure I was breathing and then I started crying and I got angry and I screamed at her what the hell do you mean you were a different person back then really are you fucking serious right now? The rest of the conversation was like an out-of-body experience. I yelled and I screamed at her at the top of my lungs. I couldn't even process what she had said. I yelled at her. How in the hell could you allow this to happen to your only daughter? What the fuck were you thinking? You even participated, mom. Really? And you expect me to be okay with your lame ass excuses that you were a different person then? That it doesn't matter now? Let me help you with what I think about that. I never want to see you again for as long as I live. I told her she would never see her grandchildren as long as there was air left in my lungs. As far as I was concerned, she was dead to me. I slammed down the phone, throwing things, screaming, and finally just crumpled to the floor crying. I was home alone, so there was no one there to console me. No one for me to rant to, just me, myself, and I, with a million out-of-control thoughts. I don't remember much after that, except my husband came home and I broke down all over again to him. I want you to know that I'm not sharing this part of my story for you to feel sorry for me. That is not my intention at all. Actually, it's the exact opposite. I want you to feel empowered by all of this. You may be wondering how anyone who reads this can find something to be empowered by, but it's here. Just keep reading. What I want you to experience when you read this is that I never knew this happened to me as a child. I never remembered any of this until my children were the same age I was when these traumatic events occurred. Also, thankfully, I don't remember any of the physical pain or trauma. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God protected me as a child and even as an adult from the physical pain by blacking out my memory. That tells me that there was a purpose in all of the things that had happened. I wasn't aware of, that, of what that purpose was until just a few years ago. I had to grow into my purpose, just like we all do. To not feel pain and to separate the person from the act helped me to look back on this with a different perspective. As you continue to read from this point, I want you to look at it as a child went through these things and she, as an adult, overcame them. I use this as fuel in my life to help show people that we are not the acts that happen to us, If you experienced something traumatic and survived, which you have because you're here reading this book, there is a purpose in that. You have a purpose on this earth to complete. That act is only a building block to the stairs leading to your destiny. There is a purpose in the emotional pain experienced in a lifetime. I promise you that. Just keep reading and I will show you what I mean. Being a mom myself, I couldn't begin to imagine or even wanted to try letting anyone hurt my children, much less participate. Who in the hell in their right mind does that? I tried to rationalize it from every different angle. I didn't recognize the man in the dreams. It wasn't until years later when I figured out who he was. After asking a lot of questions and putting the pieces of the puzzle together, I figured out he was my biological father, which mortified me even more. I was so angry hurt, confused, sad, depressed, and I'm sure a host of all of other emotions I couldn't even give a name to while I was experiencing the living hell inside my mind and the broken heart it produced. I felt so lost. My husband Brian didn't know what to say, much less do to make me feel better or how to take away any of my pain. He just knew my mother was never going to be a part of our children's life again. The nightmares kept coming. I was hardly sleeping without taking something or drinking enough alcohol to just make me pass out. I was about 23 uh, 23 years old at the time. As I'm looking back at all of this now, it's easy to see I had zero coping skills, and all I knew was I wanted to be numb. I wanted the pain in my heart and soul to stop. I wanted the voices in my head to shut up. I needed to find some peace somehow, some way. I had no clue how that was ever going to happen with all of the voices echoing in my head. Months went by. Mom tried to call me several times, but I wouldn't talk to her. Back then, there was no way to block phone numbers from calling, so I just didn't answer. I had nothing left to say to her, and she finally just gave up. Brian and I were so young when all of this had happened, and we were doing the best we could trying to figure it all out. We buried ourselves in the kids as that was the only thing that gave us any sense of normalcy. We loved on them every minute we had available and played with them until they passed out every night. We would hang out with friends and family just trying to stay busy. Anything we could do to just not have to think about it. The subject was off limits to any and everyone. I myself didn't want to think about it much less talk about it. After all, who could even begin to understand how I felt or what I was going through emotionally? Hell, Looking back at it now, I didn't even understand what was going on inside me. I just knew that I was hurting and I didn't see any way to make it stop. What kind of conversation can you have when your opening line is, Oh yeah, by the way, I've been having nightmares about my mom and some random dude having sex with me when I was like three years old. Talk about sucking the air out of a room and killing any kind of happy mood there may have been. Besides, if I'm being perfectly honest, I wasn't even sure anyone would believe me even if I told them anyway. Hell, I wasn't sure I believed it myself and it happened to me. I don't remember ever being consciously aware of not wanting to be home. I just didn't want to be there which I'm sure probably led to mom and I never doing anything together. When those nightmares came, it was like Pandora's box was opened up and my whole world came crashing down around me. Mom was always verbally and emotionally and even physically abusive. Abusive to us as children. When I was 13, my stepfather raped me. We went to court and his attorney convinced the jury that I liked it. He got probation for three years and couldn't, and couldn't be in the same county I was living in. Anger was my go-to emotion as a kid. Looking back at all of these events as an adult, it makes perfect sense now. There were other things too. Like the time my youngest brother's father taught me to drive a straight shift when I was 16. He looked over at me with this creepy ass look and said, I sure would like to get in between their thighs where that Mountain Dew bottle is. My quick response was, it'll be over your dead body. I was already angry at him. I always had my guard up because I didn't trust him at all. Hell, I hardly trusted anyone, including my own mother. remember coming home one afternoon and he had my mom pinned down on the floor and was punching her in the face. Without thinking, I grabbed a butcher knife off the counter and put it to his throat. I probably would have killed him if my mom hadn't screamed to snap me out of my blind rage and begged for his life. The police officer who showed up was thankfully my fr- my best friend's dad. He had told the other officer that they would not be pressing charges against me because it was self-defense. To be perfectly honest, I'm not sure that killing him is something that I could have lived with for the rest of my life. A few years ago, I talked to a few of my high school friends during our 30-year class reunion, and they don't remember me being an angry kid. They always describe me as strong and determined. There was only one friend who knew what was going on at home and I pretty much lived at her house my, in, my senior year. The parts of my childhood I don't remember are the normal events of my life, which seems odd to me. I believe that's because what society would call normal was abnormal in our home. There were not very many happy things going on at home, so all of the standout moments were related to the abuse I lived throughout daily life. When my friends from school want to recall past events, most of the time, I have to admit openly, I simply just don't remember. When we were all in school, I was focused on the things that made me happy, which were sports and schoolwork. I knew those were the two things that would get me out of my mother's house, which was my only goal. Forgiving the unforgivable. Time seemed to pass without a second thought of how it affected anyone. It has one job to do, and that's to never stop letting the seconds tick away. Minute by minute, hour after hour, day by day, month after month, and year after year. Time marched on with little regard for my feelings or the emotional hell I was living in every waking hour of my days. I wish I could tell you how much time had actually passed without me talking to my mom again, but I really have no clue. I started feeling the all-too-familiar knots in my stomach again and hearing this ringing in my ears. When I say ringing, I mean this phrase was on repeat, day in and day out. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. It seemed to never stop. I would wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, crying and calling out for my mom. Then I would hear it again, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I just wanted it all to stop. I couldn't take the nightmares coming back and reliving that all over again. Brian and I were attending his brother-in-law's church at the time. I had claimed to be a Christian for many years. I went to church with my grandmother as a child growing up in Chicago. Then after she passed away, my mom never made us go back to church, but we were allowed to go with friends if we wanted to. I had said the prayer many times, in fact, got my free Bible, and everyone patted me on the back like I had won some some kind of prize to which I had no clue as to what that prize was at the time. Nobody ever told me what being a Christian meant. No one ever taught me how to pray, read, or study the Bible, or even told me I had to go back to church. There were no next steps or classes to take to help me learn about Jesus or God or even how they could help me get through all of the ups and downs of life that had thrown at me thus far and was going to throw at me from this point forward. When the dreams came back full force, I talked to the pastor in confidence without even letting my husband know. I shared everything I was going through and the phrase on repeat in my head, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, and I asked him if it was true. He showed me the verse in the Bible and told me in order for our sins to be forgiven, then we had to forgive those that hurt us. I shared I wasn't sure that I, for- I could forgive her, and I never wanted to see her again. I said I felt like what she had done to me was unforgivable. End of story. He didn't disagree with how I felt at all. He understood my feelings about the situation, best he could anyway, and said that he couldn't even imagine how I felt. He did take the time to try and help me to understand forgiveness is not about letting her off the hook for what she had done. It was about freeing God's hands to heal our heart and soul from the wrongs that were done against us. He said, forgiveness doesn't mean that I have to go to her and say, I forgive you, although it'd be awesome if I could find the strength within my heart to do so. What it meant was telling God that you forgive her in your heart and you are giving your heart to him to heal so that you can be set free from your own hurt and pain. To let him deal with the people who hurt you so you don't have to anymore. He also wanted to be sure that I knew that just because I forgave my mom, it didn't mean that I had to let her back into my life. It just means that you want to be set free from the pain that's tearing you up from the inside out. Looking back at that conversation as I am writing this book, knowing what I now know about forgiveness, I believe that the pastor was teaching me that forgiveness is a decision, not an emotion. Decisions are choices we are faced with day in and day out. Each of them affects our lives in the now and in the future. Are all of our decisions easy when facing the things that have hurt us, either emotionally or physically or both? Absolutely not. What I can share with you from my own personal experience and perspective is that in this place I am right now, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, forgiveness for me is an acknowledgement to myself that I am upset or hurt in some way by what has occurred. That is followed by taking an inventory of my emotions, thoughts, and or feelings as to why I feel the way I do about that particular situation. What was my role in the situation? And then forgiving the person, the situation, and myself. It's important that I ask what my role in the situation was. If I'm honest with myself, I know I contributed in some way in every situation. When I learned the art of forgiveness and self-awareness, I found freedom within my soul like I've never known before. Now, let's get back to the story. I would love to say that that conversation liberated me in some way, and I walked away the perfect little Christian girl who was able to say, I forgive you and let's live happily ever after as one big happy family. But that is not what happened at all. Instead, I kept going to church and got baptized again. This time, I wanted to do this Christian thing the right way. So I chose to dig into my Bible more, prayed more, and I cried a lot more. I was working on becoming a better person while attempting to build a relationship with Jesus. Even with all of this, I still felt very angry and hurt by my mom. I knew I still had a really long way to go with this forgiveness stuff where my mom was concerned, even though I felt better about her and the overall situation. Then, one day, I finally mustered up the nerve to call her. I wasn't sure what I would say, but what the words that came spewing out of my mouth were, I don't want you to say shit. I just need you to shut up and listen. I'm gonna say this out loud, but I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me because I need some peace and I need some sleep. I forgive you for what you did. You are my mom and I do realize that you are not the same person you were back then. There are parts of me that still love you only because you are my mother. I don't know if I will ever be able to have a relationship with you, nor do I know if I will ever let you have a relationship with my children. But I am forgiving you because I know that if I don't forgive you, I won't be forgiven by God. So I'm taking the selfish route to save myself by forgiving you and letting Him deal with you from here on out. I hung up the phone and I burst into tears. I'm not sure if I even took a breath while I was rallying off all of the anger that erupted out of my heart at the woman who had given birth to me. After I hung up on my mom, I prayed the pastor was right and I would finally find some peace by forgiving the unforgivable. I can tell you that the dreams took a shift after some time. I started remembering the good times I had with my mom. I remembered the mom who never missed any of my sporting events, who even as an adult, she came to all of my softball games and cheered me on until I retired from the game. I recalled when I tore up my knees sliding into second base, she waddled her pregnant self out onto the softball field to make sure I was okay. I thought about the time where she spent the night in the hospital on a cot for seven days at eight and a half months pregnant when I had reconstructive surgery on my knee. When she called and wanted to be the first one to wish me happy birthday or to be safe on Friday the 13th, she was the mom that even though she had a jacked up way of showing it sometimes, made sure that we knew that she was proud of us and she loved us endlessly. God found a way to soften my heart toward her. My husband, on the other hand, was not happy at all when I started talking to my mom again. It took a lot longer for him to see that she was not the same person from my childhood and then to get him to even entertain the idea of letting her come back into our life. It took some time, but we eventually did let her back in our lives little by little, step by step. We let her see the kids again, and she began rebuilding a relationship with them. It was hard for all of us. I was terrified to leave my kids alone with her, but she stuck to it and eventually got to be around whenever she wanted to. Even though our emotional relationship was still more than a little strained, I knew my children knew their grandmother, and that was very important to me. I knew they would never have to suffer the things that I had as a child. I had broken the chains and curses that had been handed down for God only knows how many generations. Divorced and Hurting. As I said earlier, time has a way of passing without a second thought as to how it's affecting anyone. I can't even really put my finger on any one thing that happened, but my husband and I slowly grew apart. We had not been happy in a really long time. We were arguing and fighting all the time, so I asked him to go to counseling, but he always refused. His words were, if we can't fix it ourselves, then it's not going to happen. I even went to the extreme and got his parents involved trying to get them to convince him to at least talk to the pastor and get marriage counseling through the church. Nothing seemed to work. So eventually I gave up and told him I wanted a divorce. On the one hand, I didn't want to get divorced because my mom had done it six times and God knows my one mission in life was always been to do everything in my power to not be anything like her. On the other hand, I didn't want my children growing up to think that a marriage as dysfunctional as ours had become was normal. All of the arguing, no love to be found anywhere, our life had become distant and basically lifeless. I was so torn with how I felt about the decision I made In my heart, all I wanted was for them to have a better chance at getting it right when they entered into the adult world. In my mind, this was just something that couldn't be avoided. I prayed that I was making the right decision, not only for me, but for my children. I was now a single mom. My son was about to turn five, and my daughter was just three. Our divorce was finalized March of 1993. They were predicting a big blizzard in Alabama that year. I was moving into my new place that weekend when they announced how bad they expected the blizzard to be. In Alabama, you could never really tell by the forecast what was going to happen. They could tell you 20 inches of snow was coming and you see 20 snowflakes instead. My new place was total electric, so Brian convinced me to stay at the house at least through the night to make sure that the power and everything was going to stay on. If we stayed at the house, at least we would be safe, dry, warm, and have a way to cook over the fireplace if the predictions were right. I was so thankful that we chose to stay at the house overnight. We ended up going, getting over 18 inches of snow, which included snow drifts that were over 30 inches high. The four of us stayed in the den, which was about, which was 12 by 16 room. We sectioned it off in order to keep in the heat from the fireplace. For five days, we had no power, no phone, no water, or any of the usual comforts of life. I slept on the couch. Brian and kids slept on the floor on a pallet made out of the bedding from the bedrooms. We kept the food from the fridge, buried in the snow, on the front porch to keep it from spoiling. The truth be told, we probably could have left the food in the fridge because the house was so cold. One morning, I got up to get the milk and make the kids some cereal and saw footprints in the snow coming from the road to the porch. Someone had walked through the snow all the way down this country road and stole our food off the porch. We were a couple who were divorced and snowed in together for five days. We were huddled up in a 12 by 16 room with two children under the age of five with no power, phone, TV, cable, or water. Looking back at it now, we can laugh about the events of that week, even though in those moments we weren't laughing about too much of anything. I met my second husband shortly after my divorce while playing softball. I was living not far from my kid's dad at the time, so it would be convenient for both of us. I wanted him to be a part of the kid's life and see them as often as he wanted to. After all, it wasn't the kid's fault we couldn't make our marriage work. Me and Chip hit it off pretty fast. He seemed to be a good guy. He spent money on me, took me out to eat, and was good to the kids. We got married in November. Brian, my kid's dad, was already remarried and soon after a custody battle over the kids began. This whole thing drained every ounce of life I had left in me. The judge split the custody of the kids with no reason given other than it was in the best interests of the children. My son lived with his dad. My daughter lived with me. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to go through. Not having both of my kids living with me all the time took the air out of my lungs. I honestly thought my heart would stop beating. Chip and I bought a nice house in Penson and owned the pool league for the Birmingham area. I was a legal secretary doing real estate closings, making good money. He worked for a local printing company. We made well over six figure- figures between the two jobs and owning the pool league. One day I looked in the mirror and realized I had gained a bunch of weight. I never paid any attention to what I was doing after the custody battle. I was just mindlessly eating all the time and I wore baggy clothes trying to cover it up. I also hadn't realized my husband seemed to like the fact that I was fat until I joined an all-women's gym, weighing in at 174.8 pounds my first day. I then lost over 40 pounds to get back down to 133 pounds, which was just 5 pounds over what I weighed when we got married. He was so angry and wanted to know who I was losing the weight for because it wasn't him. Looking back at our relationship now, I realize I was never actually in love with him. And all honestly, we should have never gotten married. It wasn't his fault because in his mind, we were in love. Subconsciously, I believed I was doing the right thing and thought I loved him enough and we could make it work. Eventually, our marriage fell apart and there was no salvaging it. We divorced in 1998. In the back of my mind, I heard the voices say, You're on your way to being just like your mom. Divorce number two. Marriage fail number two. Now what the hell are you going to do, Tammy? After that, I started going out with my friends on the weekends, partying all the time, experimenting with drugs, and drinking a lot of alcohol. After about a year of this, I met a guy at my favorite club. We had amazing sexual chemistry right from the beginning and ended up going to a hotel that night. I went home with the next morning and didn't see him again for close to six months when I ran into him at a pool hall. It took a few minutes of chatting before we realized who each other was. It wasn't long after that we started dating. The sex was amazing and I was struck by what I believed to be true love. Didn't take long to realize I was stupid in love with this man and I bought him gifts, I spent time with him, I met his family, and then out of the blue his crazy ex-girlfriend started showing up. Yes, that should have been my first clue to get the hell out, but I couldn't see past the we are in love part. He gave me every lame excuse in the book. I believed his lies even though my gut was telling me to run. I chose to stay because a bad relationship was better than being alone. Subconsciously, I believed that if I was alone, I wasn't lovable. During that time, I lost the pool league business and then the house that I had purchased with my second husband was foreclosed on. This was followed up by the car, two motorcycles being repossessed. I stayed even after being evicted from two more apartments because at least I'm not alone, is what I told myself. Finally, after five bullshit years of hell, This merry-go-round relationship crashed and burned. It took finding out that he was cheating on me with three other women and had married one of them in secret while still with me. His wife found a text message in his phone from me and called to find out why I was telling her husband I love you. I just wasted five years with a man that didn't give a rat's ass about me. All because I believed I was in love when the reality was I let this man use me because I desperately wanted to be loved. I didn't want to be alone. In my mind, if I was alone, that meant I wasn't loved. I believed I could buy his love. I just got my heart busted wide open because subconsciously a bad relationship was better than being alone. There was a serious cycle in motion here. I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel loved. To be honest, I had no clue what real love was or what it was supposed to look or feel like. I never had an example of what real love was supposed to look like growing up. When I looked at both of my marriages, they were not a picture of what I thought love was supposed to be. What I didn't know at the time was that because of all of the sexual abuse I went through as a child subconsciously, I believed that if you had sex with me, that meant you loved me. My whole childhood, the only way an adult male showed me love was by having sex with me. So that is what I continue to believe. If you left me, it was because my sex wasn't good enough. Or I had to buy your love because as a child, the men would give me money and tell me, this is our secret, okay? My relationships from a subconscious standpoint were doomed to fail, and I had no idea I was on this sinking ship with no life jacket. I felt unloved. Worthless, betrayed, and abandoned by everyone, the very real thought in my head was I would be alone for the rest of my life. I had these overpowering feelings of loneliness, and they were crushing me inside. So I just drank more, I did more drugs, and I put on my mask of a happy face for everyone else to see. Nobody heard my cries at night. I never let anybody see me hurt. I had to be strong not realizing that the path that I was on was very dark and slippery with no road ramp on how to get out. That is the end of chapter two. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. I hope your tissues were not too heavy. (laughs) I got emotional, man, reading that stuff all over again, but it's, uh, that's how I feel. Those are my raw emotions. Those are my stories. Those are my words. And, um, I hope you guys will continue on with us next week or tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And this will give you some encouragement to help me reach my goal of bestseller on July 4th. Um, I love you guys to the moon and back and I will see you tomorrow. Bye bye now.